Anything's possible, though, because, you know, Bitcoin is money, so, you know, money talk, man. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, powered by Cointelegraph. What began as a small experiment is now a rapidly expanding ecosystem. As citizens of the internet, we expect to be able to send money over the internet as quickly and cheaply as sending an email. As citizens of the internet, we demand transparency. Here, we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain industries, fintech, and more. But we're not experts. We're just three guys in the Bitcoin community. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode number 87. I'm your host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. And host number three, Corey. What's up? What up? Happy birthday, D. Thank you. Yeah, happy birthday. Happy 31. 31? 31. Yeah. We're now past the 30. You were 29 when we started the show, right? I think I was 29. I'm not too sure. No, I couldn't have been. No, I was 30. No, I was 29 because we started the show in the summer and then I turned 30 and now I'm 31. We've been doing this for a while. Yeah, a little while. I take it you're hungover? No. Oh, okay. Be tomorrow, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. We didn't drink that much yesterday. No. Oh, I'm at, I'm at I'm at D's house, so this is the first time I've seen D since we started the podcast. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna yeah. get some pictures, all three of us together, because there's not a lot of opportunities for us to do that. Yeah. Ever. So if you guys are <laughs> listening, we've been running this entire show. Of course, you're listening. I don't know why I said if we run this entire show remotely the entire time, and now we're all three in the same city. Because this, the planets have aligned, and the gates of the universe opened up, and we're all near each other. So, yeah, it's good times. Good time, let the good times roll. Isn't that a song? I feel like it's Janet Jackson. Good times. <laughs> Let's pay some bills on since we didn't last time. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> we're all right. We were brought to you by EscrowMyBits.com. Uh, super fast, super easy, and it only takes three steps. So all you got to do is register and deposit your Bitcoin, and the seller will ship the item. Buyer will check the goods, and then they will release the funds. So I've explained the process. It's super cool. You should use it. Uh, they're just going to charge you a small flat escrow fee of 1% on all escrow transactions, and they even offer you the ability to split the fee with the other party. So Escrow Bits was created to solve all the problems wrong with the type of escrow services currently around. And their goal is to make using escrow as simple as possible. So go to that website and uh, make sure you sign up for their newsletter and stay up to date. And you can escrow your shit with escrowmybits.com. And we had, um, we had a listener of the show like really want Athena Bitcoin to open up in New Jersey. So if you're listening to us, let's make that happen because we're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin. And if you're unfamiliar with them, they are the most trusted name in Bitcoin ATMs. Uh, they're located in Houston. 
uh, Fort Worth, Dallas, a couple other places, uh, seven or eight other U.S. cities to be exact. Uh, and download the Athena Bitcoin wallet on the App Store or Google Play. Uh, for specific locations and more information, visit athenabitcoin.com. And we are also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin's portfolio company, bitquick.co. It is the secure, quick, and easy peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace where you can get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. Bitquick has been serving Bitcoiners since 2013. And where there's a bank, there's Bitquick. Yeah, on top of that, that, that user that wanted the requesting the Athena Bitcoin ATM, that's uh, that's Ken, one of our, our our most steadfast followers of the show. He's actually been kind of helping us out quite a bit. He's making an app for the podcast, and he's spent a lot of his time kind of moving around the country and trying to get different stores to adopt Bitcoin. And so, like, if you were to pick a place to have, and he wants to have the ATM in his store. So if you were to pick a place to put an ATM, this is a good place because he's going to get out there and try and get people to use it. And it's not just kind of sit there. And when people come in, they're like, what's that? And like, I don't know. Bitcoin ATM. Don't worry about it. He's going to be all up in your business trying to get people to like, do you want to try it out? I'll show you how to use it. Everything's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love Bitcoin. (laughs) We need 3,000 more Kins in the community. And then we would have just a viral movement going through the populace of America, converting everyone (laughs) to Bitcoin users and making sure that everyone knows how awesome Bitcoin is. Um, Yeah, listening to the show isn't enough. You need to build apps for us and donate (laughs) money to us. And and write write for us. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Ken, you're awesome. And uh, thanks for joining us on this podcast a journey that we're on uh that we're gonna we don't even do anything anymore ken does it all we just talk ken does everything we just talk (laughs) um so what what do we got on the docket today what are we gonna talk about should we talk about the new update the new iphone update that could potentially introduce millions of people to bitcoin uh, should we talk about Ripple's new investments? Should we discuss things related to let's our start, guests? Let's, let's start with that with that iPhone update. Do you know the details of, of what happened there? Um, I have it in my hand. Um, Explain I, the kind of what happened and like exactly what happened. Uh, well, I'm trying to, but I can't figure it out. I guess I'm tarred, but I can't see the send money part. Um, you just have the the updated iOS though. You don't have like the new iPhone, do you? No, I don't have the new iPhone. I have the updated iOS. Because I think update software. Well, well, if the new iPhones don't have headphone jacks, then you can't put a third party payment system into it, like into it or any of that. So now it's all internal now. Yeah, that, but Circle's not a payment system. Circle's a wallet, and it's supposed to be nascently integrated into iMessage. So you can just send people money however you want to using Circle through iMessage. Um, now, I just went to the App Store and I looked at Circle's update and I could read it. Let me get it. Did it a while. Send and receive money directly from iMessage with iOS 10 without even opening the app. If you have Circle, the extension automatically appears in your installed iMessage apps. That's it. Send dollars, pounds, 
that's it. It's supposed to be there. That's what it says there. So then when I open my iMessage app, there ain't shit there. <laughs> Nothing is there. Some growing pains, I guess. Yeah. But it's cool that like all future payment apps and channels will all be internal now. Now you don't have to like put a headphone jack, like third-party software onto your phone. Everything's like built in now. What is yeah. so? If people who don't use Bitcoin already, what makes them want to use this? How do they how do they use this without knowing they're using it? Do they have to download oh. Circle app? They got to fund it with Bitcoin, oh. and then they can then send money. Oh, I figured right? it out. Oh, it's beautiful. It's you got it live on air. Yeah, if we were recording, we'd be like, look, look, he got it. He figured it out. It's awesome. Uh, so. Let me just go to circle here. For those who can't watch, I'm watching D look at his phone, yeah. vigorously throw his thumb across the screen. Yeah. And there you go. It's awesome. You can just send anyone who has iMessage now, uh, US dollars, euros, or Bitcoin. There's a little option right. on there. There's three right. of them. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's cool. You can send people money. So you have Bitcoin. You want to send somebody money. They have an iPhone. You send them some cash. Yep, Bitcoin cash or or what? Bitcoin, Bitcoin dollars, dollars or, or euros, but they're all being sent with Bitcoin. It's just one of them stays Bitcoin. All right, cool. So Bitcoin. say you send that to somebody who doesn't have the Circle app or doesn't know anything about Bitcoin. What does that look like on their end, and what do they have to do in order to claim it? Ooh, good question. That's a really good question. Like, I think we should try to, like, who, who in your family has an iPhone? Uh, my pops, my sister, my moms. They all have iPhones. All right. We're going to try to use that today. Yeah. And then and yeah, we're gonna see, see what it looks like on their end and then talk about it next show and see, like, what do they have to do in order to claim it and then use it? It's going like, to, like, send it back. Yeah. We'll leave you guys in the audience on your on the on the edge of your seat. Like, damn, I can't wait till next week when we or see we'll how just, that we'll works. Just make Ken do it. We can make Ken do that. <laughs> <laughs> Ken does all. Um, yeah. So it's pretty cool. I think I think that's a huge huge step when it comes to mass adoption. Even considering that it's the only thing that matters is because now. Out of the blue, people are going to have that little circle option. And people are going to start sending money through texting. But in the background, what's, what's working is Bitcoin. So, so you think you think that this is a – it's just iMessage is able to do that because iMessage allows third-party apps to hook into what they do? Or do you think this is a, a like a, a purposeful – combination of apple and circle to integrate bitcoin into the apple system this is them allowing third-party apps into iMessage so i'm not sure all right so then we're going to see this across most messaging systems and we'll probably end up seeing this across most messaging systems like you know facebook i mean how many people are comfortable sending money through text right now if we went on the streets and asked 10 people there's going to be a lot of uh hesitation Depends on the age. Anyone under eighteen will be totally okay with it. I guarantee that thousand percent. 
they they won't even bat an eye. They'll say, oh, I can send my friend money in a text message? <laughs> Done. Who's What bank is this? Oh, it's not a bank? Is it money? <laughs> Done. Doesn't matter. But I know if I was under 18, I don't know if I'd be sending anyone money. I'm buying <laughs> video games. <laughs> yeah, but like say like say like you know your friend wants we want we to get together. You got a little bit of money, right? But you don't have like you don't have a Wii U or you don't have whatever I don't know whatever these whippersnappers are playing these days. And you can go over to his house, Game boys. And play games, right? But he has the system. So you're like you want to get him, you want him to get the game. You're like he's like I don't have any money. I can't buy a game. Like, well, here, here's some money. You text him some money, and then he buys the game, and then you play the game with him because he has a system. Yep. All happens electronically. All happens really fast. Like, man, thanks. I couldn't buy the game before, but now I can. Thanks, Bitcoin. That's how that conversation is going to go. I know it. That's that, that's <laughs> pretty much what's happening with Steam. It's like trying to get your friends to play the, game, the you know whatever dumb little clicker game you're playing, but they can't buy it. Yeah, I couldn't like, get anyone oh, to play that. Bitcoin, so I, I sold it. With me. Oh, the Steam box? <laughs> Nobody bought it with me. Thanks. Nope. <laughs> you were so pumped about buying the Steam <laughs> box with Bitcoin. I was and pumped about playing it with you until I got my hands on that shitty controller, which you were you kept trying to tell me it was good. You were like, you just got to believe You it. fell asleep playing XCOM. That was the nail in the coffin. Yeah, that's true. Because that also. that game is the game that like pushes like the limits to Steam, and you were just like, "No, I'm 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 checking out." I, I was like, All right, sell this with the controller in my hand. <laughs> but the reason During a is, covert mission is because the controller is so bad. It's so bad, <laughs> and so I was just like, "I can't figure out what I'm doing, and I'm losing energy here. I'm just gonna pass out," and that's exactly what I did. What kind of state were you in? Just gonna pass out because the controller is so bad. I was really tired. I don't remember. That was like three weeks ago, four weeks ago. But uh, that was a focus group. Like, hey, what do you guys think of this control? Oh, one one of the guys fell asleep. Okay, let's go back and redesign this controller. Yeah, let's let's go back to the drawing boards on this. If the guy's brain says this is too difficult to use, I'm just gonna go to sleep. <laughs> Well, I bought a I bought a PS4 Slim, so if you buy a PS4, we're good to go. Oh, okay, cool. I'm probably gonna get one here in in November. But so, big story this week, I think, was the Circle Circle getting into iMessage. It's a great first leap to getting Bitcoin into the hands because by now, I think Bitcoin's sitting in a great position because by now. Enough people have heard Bitcoin enough times to where it has that legitimacy of a thing that's just around and is going to be around. So what happens is the longer people have that mentality, the more the probability increases that someone is going to say, hey, let me just try this Bitcoin thing. I keep hearing comedians make it a punchline, you know, and then they use it and they're like, wow, it's actually kind of really fucking easy. And then... Next thing you know, it's a you know it's a steamroll effect, and Johnny, Jesse, and Raphael that weren't into Bitcoin are now like, yeah, I finally used that Bitcoin thing. It's pretty easy. And no, I, I see goes. it. I see it almost as like, almost. So, based on the type of people that I talk to here in America, they may be like, all right, I'll give it a shot. They use it, and they're like, all right, I used it. What's cool about it? I just sent somebody money. 
Yeah. They don't get a lot of like the back into it, but it's not this like 14 steps to use it. They're like, they're like, that was like, they're not like, that was ridiculously hard for doing the same thing I could do normally. They're like, okay. So I sent them some money. What, what's, what's cool? What, what's, what's next? How can I, what, what's the point? And when we're in, in bus, knowing all of the things that we know, we're like, that is the point. You just did it. You, you realize how simple and like what you just actually did. And they're like, no, I just sent him some money. What's the, what's the problem? Yeah. But real for us, that's a big win because it's just a normal experience for somebody. Yeah. It would help too if, if every time Bitcoin was mentioned on television and movies, it wasn't in a negative aspect. Yeah, man. It's yeah, Mr. Robot isn't quite negative. They're on an e-coin or whatever they call it on Mr. Robot. Yeah. I was, wa- I was watching, um, the blacklist and then they were doing a drug episode and of course the guy laundered drugs with bitcoin i'm like come on yeah every single time they mention bitcoin it's like the craziest today they caught jared in prison using bitcoin doing his same thing (laughs) jared from subway in prison using bitcoin to smuggle in child pornography yeah (laughs) but the transaction fees were low this just in, they resurrected <laughs> the transaction fees. <laughs> super low, allowing him to buy more cigarettes for trade. Uh, they resurrected Osama bin Laden using Bitcoin somehow. That's that's how shitty the media is sometimes. But um Yeah. So another one small step for Bitcoin one huge step for me butchering one of the greatest quotes of all time. Yeah. Also, uh, Coinbase, <laughs> tra- uh, they crossed $5 billion in cryptocurrency trading, so that's cool. Oof. That's just on Coinbase, too. So that's not, I mean, Oof. I wonder that's... what they take into account with trading. Is that just GDAX, or is that like all people buying Bitcoin? Uh, I, I think that's all, because they've always kind of branded themselves as an exchange. So first, no, when they first started up, they were a wallet and then they quickly transitioned to, we're just kind of an exchange. And now they're like a f- digital currency services. Well, they wanted to be a one-stop solution. They wanted yeah. to be a secure wallet and they also wanted to be an exchange. And they then quickly realized that in order to do both, it requires a lot of work. And they're like, we should probably just focus on one thing. Yeah. So they kept a lot of their wallet services that they already implemented, but they're yeah. not developing it. And they spent most of and now they seem to be spending most of their effort on building the exchange because they see that as being something that will be useful to others in, in the future because there's a lot of wallets out there. Mm-hmm. And there's also a lot of exchanges, but being in the position that Coinbase is as like the leading bank of Bitcoin, if you will. It's the it's the it's the biggest bank built on top of the Bitcoin network that I'm aware of. But I, I uh, that's the way I see it at least. At least in, in the U.S., we'll put we'll say we'll give it that caveat. In the U.S., we had an interesting uh, conversation about this last night about the direction banks are going to have to go into and where banks are headed and how Coinbase is considered the new bank of digital currency. And I was like, yeah. That's I thought in my head. I said, "Yeah, it's contradictory to a lot of the message that Bitcoiners put forth that banks suck and they're unnecessary." But I think the one caveat that changes with Coinbase is that 
they allow you to have your private keys, which gives them credibility, if you ask me. A shit ton of credibility when it comes to allow for me letting them be the custodian of my digital wallet. I think it makes me feel great that they will export to me my private keys if I want them. You don't, but you don't actually do it. You don't actually export your private keys. I'm gonna put your privacy on front street. No, I don't do it yet. Uh, I, mean, I, I don't keep enough enough money. I don't have a. Card. I don't have a keep key or a treasure. I don't have a hard wallet. I don't have anything like that. So you so, can at least keep them on your local device. Yeah. I mean, I could go through the 30 bajillion steps to create a cold wallet. That's 100% sterile. Uh, that's and, not even that. Just like even just, even just keeping them in like a Jack's wallet where you own all the private keys is more secure than having them on a, on a third party solution that it keeps is. your private keys and gives you an option to, to export your private keys. Yeah, I think I just I still have to make that leap, that behavior leap of trusting myself with all of that. Like, all right, value. that's that's a reasonable. You don't want to take. You're afraid of the personal responsibility of losing your money. Hell yeah! Well, <laughs> I don't I mean, want to export kind of the, my private kind of keys the... and then fuck it up, oh. and then then one day I'm like sitting on a bridge ledge, like, did I really have to click delete? I didn't have to click delete. Like, and then all Are you my talking about like, gone. well, see, that's the thing about like with the, with the 13 word mnemonic, uh, whatever, it, you know, how many words it is, depending on which wallet you use. Like with Jax, it's as long as you have the seed to your private key, your master private key, right? That 13 word mnemonic, they make you memorize, write down and keep safe. Uh-huh. You can regenerate all of your wallets in whatever app that you want. It accepts that seed, which is how Jax syncs your all your wallets across multiple devices. Is that you just reseed it with that thirteen word demonic? This is the you know hierarchical deterministic wallet, right? Mm-hmm. This is elliptical curves to to then create new private keys, which then create new public keys. So, on so, so, then, so what you're saying is, since I developed the fear. Of having my private keys, services have now evolved to the point where it is painfully easy almost to have your own private keys because you can use that mnemonic to just regenerate it. Yeah, so like that whole the whole like scare of like, oh, I deleted that wallet.dat file on my computer. Now I no longer have my, my Bitcoin or Litecoin or yeah. whatever. That's gone. As long as you can have access to that 13-word seed, Somewhere, I mean, if you want, you could just spend some time committing it to memory, which is difficult because there's no real rhyme or reason to the words around them, and you don't get to pick the phrase in which you memorize. Yeah, but if you spend a, I don't know, an hour a day for a week, not even that, 15 minutes a day for a week, memorizing that code, you'll you'll have it committed to memory, yeah. and at any point, you can always regenerate every single wallet based on that seed across whatever coins you keep in that wallet. It's like for Jax, you can keep, mm-hmm. uh, I think they have Dash, ETH, ETC, Bitcoin, DAO, if you're still doing that. Uh, and I think that's Dash, it. Right. Dash. It might have Litecoin. I said Dash. Oh, okay. My bad. But, I mean, as they implement more and more coins, it's still all based on a single seed. So you can regen- regenerate all of those wallets. All of the private keys and public keys associated with those wallets. Okay. 
with a single 13, 13 words. So you just write that down. So I just need to nut up and get them private keys. And then Coinbase really becomes awesome because I'm using that service that I just touted as awesome and not just saying it's awesome. Oh, yeah. I use Coinbase. I just don't keep – I only keep enough money that I want to fund my shift card with. Oh, okay. So just like a checking thing. Yeah. See, it's like my, I'm it's my kind of personal banking. amount that I'm willing to use. And if I want to put my money in there, I just throw it in there from Jax. I got two cold wallets going through them. I got Ethereum wallet now that reoccurs. I'm just like, hey, Coinbase, take care of it. Lazy American. But let me get on my private keys and get on that so that if Coinbase goes under, I don't lose my stuff. So Maybe we should have an episode sometime where I explain HD wallets and how that works. I'll yeah. set, I guess I'm a little more detailed than what I just explained. I, I mean, I get the gist of hierarchical determination. It's just one seed that pretty much, you know, one, you know, the, the mnemonic words seed the private keys. and It seeds your master private key, right? Yeah. And from any private key, your yeah. master private key essentially produces more private keys. Yeah. And from any private key, you can produce a public key. And then those private keys then generate other private keys. If yeah. you decide to create more addresses, then it's this kind of um, cascading tree of private keys, which can be generated from other uh, a higher level private keys. So, like, say for instance, I guess a good a good way that you can look at this is say you are the owner of an organization and you have departments. Yeah. Um, your if you your owner as the owner, you control the master private key, which then can produce private keys and the master public key. Mm-hmm. And then you produce, say, you have four departments in your organization, and you want the leader of those departments to then have their own kind ability of to create something. Yeah, yeah, their wallet, their own section of, you know, financial section of the organization. You then create a private key for each of them. And then they can then use that private key to create public keys and other private keys, but they can't go up and access the the other private keys you created from your master private key because but only you can access key. everything below it with your master private key Oof. so you can use you sexy. as the owner of the organization can control all the finances of your entire organization but the people underneath you can only control the master yeah. keys i mean the, the, the private and public keys that they create the one you gave them got it and there's a few there's a few things that you have to be careful with with this, this uh, with these HD wallets that people know about. It's like essentially a, a bug. If you give out too much information, then everything can be regenerated, which you can read about. Well, that seems like a big critical point. Yeah, if you don't, know? it's, it depends on like how much information you give out to um, the organization. You're, if you're, there's, you know. I have to read about exactly what it is. It's a certain combination of master public key and uh, a pri- any 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 private key generated from the master public key. I think is what it is. You can regenerate yeah. the entire set, but if you don't give out your master public key, which you shouldn't, you sh- you should always use your masters to generate other things. Mm-hmm. Then you're fine, as long as you follow that kind of r- rule or that logic. Then you're essentially can create everything, drive everything from one seed, which is what Jax does. Cool. So 
I, I get it. I just got to get on it. And I'll talk about it. I'll talk about it for you listeners and show you just how smooth and easy it is. And then I'll let you know weeks after if I'm losing rest or not on if I lost my Bitcoin and all of my money. So You should quit the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, de-quit and we can't find them. So uh, anyways, we've been hashing things out for a little while. Uh, we should get into the interview. Let's do that. Yeah. Um, it's been eight months since Rhinox Charles has been on the show, so we are in dire need of an update on what he's been working on. Uh, when he was on, it was called Dat. Now it's called Yours. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a myriad of different ways that we could possibly go about explaining it. I mean, I could nail you with the, the technical specifics, and I could dance around with uh, a few marketing slogans, um, but I'm not. Uh by thoughtfully incentivizing payments to creators, they just they give people a reason to pay for content on the internet. It's as easy as that. So yeah. um, let's get uh, the CEO Ryan X Charles on. Yeah, here it is. Yeah. Um, I guess we could just start with uh, with the meat on the bone here. So what's been the latest development with yours since? I think you, you've been here about eight months ago, so uh, I know there's a lot of ground to cover, but uh, what's, yeah. what's the latest? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, a lot has happened in, in eight months. So there were some really major milestones that we went through uh, since I talked with you guys. Uh, first of all, I'm pretty sure, like, if we talked in January, was it January or February? It was January, oh, early January. Eight months. Okay. Yeah, so I'm, we, we hadn't even launched uh, what, what we then – so we, we ended up – at that time, it was called DAT. Okay? It, was, it was this project that was uh, decentralized all the things. Uh, and people kept telling me, you know, this, this uh, project has a name that appeals to Bitcoin people, but it doesn't appeal to a mainstream audience. And we really wanted to appeal to a mainstream audience. We want to make a, a, a mainstream company. Uh, so uh, I did a bunch of brainstorming. I came up with the name Yours. So one thing that happened was we later rebranded uh, from Dat to Yours. I wrote an article about this. We uh, 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 went to the uh, the launch hackathon in February, and we made a prototype uh, uh, of Yours uh, in in a weekend uh, at the launch hackathon. And what we did was we took all the source code for Dat and basically made a new UI for it, and uh, we're able to just sort of fit all the pieces together pretty quickly and, and make a new uh, UI uh, for yours uh, that weekend. We later made um, a, uh, a, a sort of better prototype of the mo- we, we rewrote it basically because the thing we made at the hackathon wasn't very good uh, in terms of software. <laughs> it was a hack. Yeah, exactly. It was a hack. But we rewrote it uh, and, and launched a, a better prototype. Launched, not publicly, but we just sort of got it working in, in about April. But uh, what we realized was... Uh, uh, we need real Bitcoin micropayments. So let me explain the product for your for your viewers who uh, are, are not familiar with, with what we're trying to do. We are trying to incentivize payments to content creators on a social media app where you have a reason to uh, basically upvote content. So the, the website looks something like Reddit. There's a button that looks like, a, like an upvote button, I guess. We call it the curate button. Uh, and the idea is that by curating content, you're doing the work of like helping to discover good content. So that's that's a sort of role that deserves to be paid. So when you when you upvote or when you curate something on the website, you're paying the creator uh, for creating content, and you're also paying the curators. Uh, so that's sort of the formula: fifty percent goes to the creator, 
fifty percent goes to the uh, to the curators. Um, so you have a reason to pay because if you're a curator and you curate uh, you know something popular early on, you could actually profit from it. Um, so that's very different than say change tip or something where you, know, you, you would never profit from tipping some, uh, somebody, uh, but you can on our uh, on our ad. Um, so we had that working in April, but but as I was saying, like uh, we uh, we realized the fees of Bitcoin transactions back then were too high. Back then, being you know just a matter of months ago, it was like five cents or something like that on average for a Bitcoin transaction. We think these payments are going to be like one cent. So to pay five cents for a one cent transaction is absurd. So we uh, began implementing the Lightning Network. Implementing the full Lightning Network, what we did was read all their papers, the Lighting Network paper, or a few, there's sort of the official Lighting Network paper and a few others on sort of how to do uh, 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 payment channel networks. Uh, and uh, we're implementing like the simplest version of that. So our status now is we're sort of full on uh, doing uh, Bitcoin micropayments so that we can uh, you know, allow for these tiny payments that we think are necessary uh, in our product. So that's where we stand now, uh, you know, uh, writing software and they're trying to uh, uh, get technology into the product as, as quickly as possible so that we can uh, launch something for people. Yeah, we had an entire episode on the Lightning Network just a couple episodes ago. Um, are you using uh, duplex micropayment channels? Yeah, so we, we are, I think it's fair to say we're not using, I don't remember what duplex means. Does that mean a, a two? Or something. Way, yes. Yeah, we're doing. Like, they, I guess for one, are, they enable the uh, the near infinite scalability for digital payments based on Bitcoin. But like you said, the Bitcoin transactions they're no longer used directly to transfer yeah. Bitcoins. So I guess that's like a new implementation. Yeah, yeah. So with respect to two way payments, we do support two way. Okay, so duplex in that sense, uh, the payments go both ways. Uh, so you can send and receive across the same channel. Um. One, there are there are several sort of subtle differences between what we're doing and, and the, the Lightning Network. Um, you know, for one, uh, we're having we're not using segregated witness, so there's there's actually a tiny um, sort of security problem with ours that we think probably won't be an issue um, when we launch because the payments are so small that you don't really have much of a reason to go way out of your way uh, to exploit the this this vulnerability uh, with, with uh, transaction mutability. We'll see if that's an issue or not. We don't think it'll be an issue on launch day. Um, so we're, we're taking, we're basically taking some shortcuts uh, to make it uh, something we can launch faster. Um, but it is duplex, like you can send and receive. So we are definitely doing that. With that type of shortcut being taken, is that something that's kind of hard baked in that can be fixed later on as you kind of have a minimum viable pro pro product out? Yeah, yeah, good question. So, I mean, you know, what, what we would end up having to do is uh, we haven't sketched out like a plan for how we would we would migrate from like our protocol to a to a better one. Um, but I mean, you know, all you would have to do is cash out of one system and cash into another, right? You just close your channels and then put the money onto some new protocol. Um, if it's possible to to keep the channels open, that would be desirable because uh, the way this works is. Uh, when you, you know, to send micropayments, you have to open at least one payment channel with somebody. And the channel can just stay open forever. Um, so you can keep updating this channel. So you never actually have to cash out, so to speak, and get back onto the blockchain, either unless you want to or unless somebody 
somebody else wants to, or if uh, you know somebody like, commits fraud or something and they, do, they try to steal your money or something, then you then you sort of have to cash out. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, uh, it, it will be possible to migrate. Uh, but what what we're going to do is we'll launch a testnet version first, and then we'll reassess whether uh, whether we want to do something like you know. Do we want to make some significant changes to be more forwards compatible with the full Lightning Network or something like that? But on day one, we just won't be fully compatible with those guys. It's a, it's a lighter version and simpler um, uh, with some known problems, but we think they won't really be that big of a problem pretty much. I see. And so with uh, so one question I was kind of having is this, this the, so you see this push, especially right now, for people creating platforms so that content creators can be paid directly, uh, and yours is is definitely one of the one of one of the ones we think is going to be a front runner. But uh, I think in the end, when all of these gets pushed out, a lot of it's going to be kind of the the monetization scheme. So one, how well are kind of people creating good content getting paid, as well as these kind of underlying. Um, monetary mechanisms such as what, what you do for curation so the people who curate and how they get paid um which is essentially the people who are bringing good content forward uh for others to see how you yeah so okay so, it's, it's so 50 and 50 percent is that something that, that's you know subject to change over time is that a dynamically shifting percentage to kind of optimize that idea of paying the right people the best yeah, good question. So let's let's distinguish between uh, what we call the creators and the curators. First of all, content, uh, you know, what they do is fairly obvious. They, you know, they are the original creator of a piece of content. Uh, they do very valuable work. There are people that discover content, which is a totally different thing, but is also sort of valuable. Um, I think on the internet today, actually, discovery is is a huge problem personally difficult to actually use uh, social media to find the content that I'm most interested in. I don't think any social media site has really solved this with traditional media. Content is a... Oh, lost a little bit. Hello? Marcello, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I lost Ryan. This uh, this the interview plagued with technical difficulties. I know, man. I like where that conversation was going. There we go. Yeah, it totally broke up there. I there there might be something wrong with my computer. I it, it is cut out before. If, if we do, let's just. I'm gonna switch. To, I have a tablet that I'll try next. If we keep having problems, so let's right. just. So I'm uh, just gonna try again. Pick it back up. You were talking yeah. about the it, difference between. If I recall, go ahead. Last time, I think you were uh, in in uh, Japan or Hong Kong and you had to call us on a calling card. So this is a lot better. That's right. We get some video with this one. But uh, right. yeah. what we'll yeah, do is actually... uh, we'll just have you pick up. You started, I think you left off with uh, con the difference between content creators and content um, curators. And you're having, you're saying that social media or the way it currently works today, you can't find a good way to find the kind of content you're looking for. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so let me, let me just, I'll just start there. 
so let's let's first distinguish between uh, content creators and content like discoverers, people that are uh, you know creating original content and people that are finding it. So people that are uh, creating content, of course, are doing something really valuable. They're creating a, a great, valuable piece of content that people want to see. And it's valuable to some people. It's you know, people like seeing this piece of content. Um, but there's there's a problem of discovery. Like, how do you know that there's a piece of content out there that's interesting to you? I would argue that social media does a really poor job of uh, content discovery. I find it really difficult, actually, to find most of the content that I'm interested in. I actually have to try pretty hard. And if I don't try hard, I get lower quality content. So I think people that discover and curate content are actually doing a really valuable job. If somebody does a good job of that, you know, they're also sort of performing this, this role uh, that, that they deserve to be paid. Um, so uh, we pay both, you know, we make sure that the, the creators and the curators both uh, get paid. Um, right now, the formula is 50%. However, uh, that is definitely not set in stone. Uh, what we really want to do is, uh, we we really want to empower our users to pick the, their own uh, rules. So what we would really like to see is something like Reddit, where you can make a new subreddit. We wouldn't call them that, but let's just call them a sub community with different rules. So the payment rules are different. Hmm. Perhaps one sub community picks rules where the the uh, uh, you know the payments to the creators are ninety percent. Uh, you know, that would, it sounds really good for the creators that way. Maybe that would be better for the creators, but I bet you would get fewer curators. So it may actually not be better. On the other hand, maybe somebody picks a, a 10% formula uh, for their community where the creator gets only 10%. Uh, sounds really small, except that if you have way more people curating, then actually the creator might get more money. Um, so those are just a few, that's, that's one dimension we can play with. But actually there's a really, really big space of possibilities here. Once we have Bitcoin micropayments working, um, a lot of other things are way easy. So let me just sketch some ideas for you. What if you could just click a button to buy a piece of content? What that means is, for instance, you can see an image at low resolution and you click a button to buy it. Now you can see it at full resolution. The easy product idea, wouldn't that be cool to like enable people to create a subreddit? It's like a, a form of Shutterstock where people can post their stock imagery, for instance, and people can buy it for one cent. I think that'd be really cool. So enabling that feature and allowing our users to do that, um, you know, to like enable that for their community, I think that's the real way we're gonna find the best sort of payment system, right? The best sort of payment scheme where like, how much are you rewarding who and how much do things cost and who's getting paid and when and why? Um, I think the real answer is basically a market. Let our users, uh, you know, tune these variables. And I bet some communities are going to pick really good variables that's going to be really uh, successful for people. All right. So, so that's my, our real plan. All right, so my, my, my Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Question to that, or like what, I would, that. Like what I would see is this kind of really large fracturization if that's a word, of small communities based on how they would like to pay out certain things. And yeah. you, may, you may lose what could be a good-sized community because they have minor differences in, in how they feel things should be paid out. So it's almost like you're providing a protocol and just releasing it to the wild and hoping that some of these communities rise to the top to make others follow. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, let me, I mean, I, I agree with that concern. Like, I, I think it would be a bad idea to just release a bunch of variables. Um, we're definitely going to try and uh, sort of curate our own community in this sense. Like, probably launch something similar to what I described with 50% going to the creator, 50% going to the curators, because it's a pretty simple model. So mm -hmm. we sort of start with that first uh, by, I think, both talking with our users and sort of enabling some of these features one at a time as our community grows can sort of pick out the better the better options from day one. I mean, we sort of have no, we can't literally, uh, you know, implement this space of like 10,000 possibilities no. on day one just due to engineering reasons. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll open up these op uh, options uh, as we go. Yeah, go ahead. So you're a physicist, so you understand this idea of kind of searching a large variable space and trying to optimize it. And the more dimensionality you increase into a system, the more it is to find some type of mac or optimization to that system unless yeah it's, so we need lower dimension yeah we need At like one or two variables yeah totally absolutely we, we will start there i mean that's definitely how it's going to be but i do think that it's just unlikely that really the killer best idea is going to be something that somebody picks early on i think what we need to do is we need to we need to keep searching you know for for a while and, uh, you know, really be aware that even if we find something that seems to work pretty well, it may be nowhere near as, as good as the best fit. And, you know, once we've got the micropayments, you know, sort of working and integrated into our, our uh, product, that is definitely the, the hard part. So we'll be able to do this. We'll be able to run these experiments. And uh, I think, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to, you know, uh, you know, turn on these dimensions, but also like, you know, we're going to, we're going to only turn on these dimensions that we think are worthwhile. Uh, and, uh, you know, where we suspect sort of the answer is, you know, if only you could click a button, view the full resolution image. And if we believe that that's really the right next thing, then we'll add that next. Um, so yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it would be a mistake to just literally let the users like enable 10,000 things. Cause I don't think they'll find it. Um, I think we have to sort of, start a little bit smaller, but do keep implementing like these dimensions uh, as we go. Did you guys learn anything from Steemit? Did they do anything right? Or more importantly, is it, did they, did they yeah, do anything yeah. wrong that you guys are right. avoiding? Did they do anything right? Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, I think, you know, I think, I think uh, I, I like Steam. I think it's really interesting. I think, you know, when I launched this project, you were like, we had so many ideas from people about how to do things. And one of the ideas was to make a community based on a blockchain. And that's exactly what Steemit did. They made their own new blockchain with its own new currency and its own new system of economics. And I think it's a really interesting experiment. I mean, like, even, even if it were to fail, uh, it, it's very, very interesting. It's just, it's just instructive to look at what happens and what are the, what are the consequences of the rules that they, they picked. Um, now we're definitely not going uh, that route. We're, we're, we're everybody like, you know, people think that we're, you know, Steam is a competitor to us, and I, I, they are. I mean, they are a competitor uh, in the sense that uh, you know, you can if you're a content creator, you can get paid on Steam, and if you're a content creator, you can get paid on yours. They're similar in that respect, but technically and at a product level, they're very different. Um, I think I don't think it's actually a good idea to invent a new currency. I think all you're doing is creating a new barrier. I, they, they didn't even just create one. They created, I think there's three, actually. There's one that you, you normally use, which is Steam. Then there's like uh, also Steam Power. And then there's also Steam Dollars. 
And I think, you know, talking with people that use Steam, uh, even people that use it are very just befuddled by what are these things and what they're thinking about at the end of the day are, am I being paid? And the number one problem that Steam users have is basically, unless you're already a Steam whale, it's, or if your friends are Steam whales, it's actually really hard to get paid on Steam. Uh, if one of the, one of the people that owns a huge amount of Steam doesn't upvote you, you'll probably earn zero. And that's sort of the, the, the reality for a lot of uh, people on Steam. So I would say, you know, the, the number one lesson we're taking away from Steam, um, you know, power users that are a thousand times bigger than the other users is problematic. We need to make sure that, you know, all of our users have the option, you know, and are able to get paid. So we need to surface content from all of our users. Uh, you know, it, even if you don't have a huge amount of money, and I'd be surprised if people put a huge amount on this app. But even if you don't, you know, if you have very little, that's okay. That should still count. Uh, so that's probably the number one lesson we're taking away from them. Well, also, like a system like that doesn't doesn't really allow or uh, help micro communities flourish. Whereas a system that is agnostic to the amount of money you have in regards to how the content is valued, yeah, uh, definitely yeah. allows for micro communities, which is what really what people I think are looking for on the internet. These real niche type yeah. of content specific to what exactly what they're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think steam, uh, we'll see if they can, I mean, just to some extent they can, they can work on these problems over time. So we'll see how it plays out with them. Um, I do think that, uh, they created one community and I, I have no idea how they would pivot from what they're currently doing to empower lots of smaller communities. We're much more focused on the fact that there are many sub communities, and we want those to sort of thrive on our platform. And it's okay. And it's actually a good thing if they're independent from one another. But I can give you some examples of this. Like, uh, we're, we're partial to manga, uh, with, with uh, Japanese comics. I'm not mm -hmm. a huge fan of manga myself personally, but for a lot of reasons, we think this is a great community that would use our, 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 our product because they're basically, um, there are professionals that are doing it and earning money, of course, but there are also a lot of amateurs that are really good at it. And it, they're not earning anything. There's no monetization mechanism for most of these people, even if they're really good. And they have fans. And there are websites out there that support these people. But none of them really have like a simple monetization mechanism to let these people start earning some money for their hobby. So that's an example of one community. Of course, there are others. Like I'll just, you know, you know for instance, consider the Bitcoin community. That's another example of like a niche community. Bitcoin and manga don't really have anything to do with each other. But they could both use yours, and they could both sort of coexist. And we want to empower those different communities, uh, you know, to exist at the same time. Although I'll, I'll just back up one second and say that uh, we will probably not have sub communities on day one. We're going to be very conscious about features like that as we grow, because you know I, I think if we if we had a huge number of subreddits with one person each, it wouldn't be very interesting. So we will have a simple front page on day one, uh, and then only as we sort of you know, sort of like. Uh, you know, uh, overflow on our front page. We'll, we'll add those features to make sure that our sub communities, uh, uh, you know, can, uh, can exist, uh, sort of simultaneously. I feel like that seems to be almost like a front end development of tagging and filtering as opposed to the underlying mechanisms of, of, of yours. Network. Absolutely. I think, I think it mostly is. I'll say that there is one underlying thing that, that, it, that we need to be very, very thoughtful about. Yeah. It is sort of front end with, with tagging and stuff like that. You can imagine just tagging your content with manga and shows up in the manga community. But there are some subtle things to think about here. 
Um, one is the way the payments work. I think it's really, really like wise, as we were saying a minute ago, to enable these other dimensions. So if we enable some new way of paying, um, we want to make sure that like, you know, you have the ability to enable that for a community. So who like is in charge of this? You know, uh, the, the, the role for that is a moderator. A moderator is someone that moderates a community. Uh, there's someone that uh, you, know, you could say that they own the community. They're the leaders of, they decide the rules of the community. Um, so that role is not just a front end thing. We need to make sure that they have tools uh, for moderating, um, that they have the ability to uh, you know, set these rules and uh, they can you know, moderate uh, their, their, uh, their community, uh, which means a lot of things. It's very open-ended, but it means besides picking the rules, it also means deciding what content is appropriate and what content is not, stuff like that. Um, so, uh, you know, there, there is, there is a lot of other sort of, uh, 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 really being wise about what precisely are these features and when do we add them and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, who, who's using it and whatnot on day one, but all those things are easier than Bitcoin micropayments. I mean, there's no question after working on this for a while <laughs> that, I mean, we, we were completely consumed with like, with the Bitcoin micropayment stuff, because that's like 10 X harder than the other things. I would, uh, I would definitely agree with you. Um, which, which is, which is kind of surprising because you've been, you've been so busy with the Bitcoin micropayments yet, um, you found time to even do these small lectures. So we have, we're, we're going to be interviewing, yeah. um, Mackie and JJ on the Bitcoin implementation, uh, here pretty cool. soon over the next week or so. Uh, but you've been doing these lectures that are kind of mm-hmm. a nice, I wouldn't call it, ultra dive deep but it's it's definitely below service level um lecturing on how to use what an implementation yeah. is how to use it and how to do certain things in the bitcoin community using it yeah totally totally yeah so let me explain you know uh, you know how i found time for this and why because that's sort of an interesting way of looking at it um you know we're, we're totally busy with just programming it's me and uh, you know so steven is, is is with us but he's not uh, he's not a full-time programmer uh the, the people programming are myself uh, and uh, 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 Clemens Lay. Mm-hmm. Clemens and I are both programming full time every day. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I have a huge amount of knowledge about Bitcoin because I've been in the space since 2011. I've been programming full time Bitcoin stuff since 2013. Clemens is a PhD in computer science who, who runs uh, his own uh, businesses, uh, uh, sort of preceding uh, yours. Um, but he's not as much an expert in Bitcoin as I am. So I've had to, so and I wrote this giant library called Yours Bitcoin, which of course I know how my own library works better than anybody does. Mm-hmm. So I found that I needed to like just cover the basics for Clement so that he understands how my library works and cover these edge cases and the protocol and stuff that are, unless you spent years studying it, you would never know about these, these things. So I realized that I was, I was basically having to teach some of, the, some of these important basic things uh, to Clemens. I'm like, well, I know I'm also going to have to teach the same exact things for other future engineers because this stuff is so weird and complicated. Like no one actually knows this stuff. I need to teach those people as well. I really need to just record this stuff so that, you know, it's, it's uh, available that I can show to anyone. And of course I may as well just make it freely available on YouTube because why not? I mean, I think it'll be useful to people out there uh, to, to learn about uh, it's, it's, it's sort of both about Bitcoin in general but the twist is that I'm really covering my own Bitcoin library, yours Bitcoin, mm-hmm. uh, because that's what we use, you know, in our application. We use yours Bitcoin. Uh, so anyway, uh, I, I'm just trying to educate 
uh, primarily my future employees, because Clemens is pretty sophisticated. He knows a lot of the stuff. Uh, he doesn't know everything. Um, but it's also primarily for like, you know, the, the uh, other engineers that are going to join our company in the future, assuming you're successful. I hope we, hope we will be. Uh, but then uh, just a general audience. It's like there's no reason not to just make it public. Um, and then I also realized that it's a cool way for me to be a content creator because here we are trying to make this website uh, for people um, you know, to, who are content creators. And I write articles and stuff, but I've never really made videos. So it's a cool way for me to experience sort of that side of things. So I'm just making these videos on you know, how to do Bitcoin stuff with yours Bitcoin. So I can see what it's like as a content creator. I can see that point of view on, on YouTube. I can, I'll probably enable monetization. I'm, I'm sure I would earn nothing on, on YouTube's monetization. Uh, but it's just a way for me to, you know, create this material that is, is really necessary for a company. Um, but at the same time, sort of, sort of, you know, hit two birds with one stone, so to speak. I'm, I'm also able to reach and grow an audience of people that would find this valuable. Um, and then also to just see what it's like to be, a content creator on YouTube. And with respect to time, that's a, it's a great question because I'm so sensitive about like, how should I spend my time? Take that long because I know my own library. So it takes like two hours to record one of these videos. It takes like one hour to prepare and then takes another hour to actually record the video. And then usually there's some technical thing that goes wrong or something. So maybe another half an hour to fix some technical thing. Um, so it doesn't take that much time. And really it's an investment in creating this material I think it's going to be really useful for my company as well as just a general audience on the internet. Oh, I've, I've personally um, since you mentioned Bitcoin. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm really glad you like it. Uh, since you mentioned Bitcoin, I just want to follow up and, and talk about Bitcoin uh, for a second because you know, so I have my own library, yours, uh, Bitcoin. Um, I know JJ very well. We work together at at, uh, at BitPay together. Introduced JJ to Andrew at first, I, so I, I can claim at least some some of the. Uh, you know, uh, credit there for the, the reason why JJ is now at first. Um, Bitcoin is really, really awesome. I mean, it is a it is a stellar implementation of Bitcoin. I would say it is on par with Bitcoin Core with respect to how well developed it is and how useful it is and how correct it is with respect to the Bitcoin protocol. It's definitely like a more advanced implementation than my own. So I've been talking with JJ to see if there's any way we can uh, unfortunately, they're totally different from like a software architecture point of view. Mm. So it's it's sort of unrealistic to think we could somehow merge or something uh, anytime yeah. soon. But I do suggest basically, you know, for people like if somebody wanted to use my library, you could use mine for learning purposes. But if you want to do something for real, I would definitely look at Bitcoin. It's it's a really good implementation. What do you think is harder, building a community or building a, a tech platform? That is such a good question. I mean. You know, we're so absorbed in technology right now um, that, you know, there are different phases for our product, uh, you know, for a project or for a company or for our community. We have to build the technology first. And we're really, really trying to get our MVP out the door as soon as possible. When that happens, we, we exit the tech first phase and enter a new phase where, of course, our technology continues to be critically important. But then we're really in community building phase. And, you know, what I've learned over the past year we, the, the most valuable thing that we've done to help build our community, and we don't really have, of course, we don't have, our product hasn't launched yet, so we don't have anybody using it on the app itself. But we do have a, a Slack channel with, I think it's like 500 people. Um, and we have, you know, something like, I don't know, some, over a thousand followers on our, our Twitter account. We have something like 4,000 people on our mailing list. 
So we've got a little community that, that is listening to what we're saying, and it's been growing actually pretty quickly over the past year. It's, it's grown pretty steadily. Um, I think doing something interesting that solves a real problem for people is really what's, what's helping build our community, first and foremost. Like what we're doing is, is very interesting to people. People that are content creators or discoverers on the internet like the idea of being paid. I mean, who doesn't like that idea, right? I mean, it, it sounds, you know, imagine you could just do the same thing you're doing right now on Reddit for free, but now you can start earning some money for it. I mean, like, it's a very appealing idea to a huge number of people. So they really like that idea. Um, and because it's also like technically cool, because we're, we're going to be one of the first people that really in the history of the world, I would argue, has genuine micropayments. That's really just technically cool. So by doing these things, we've been able to build a, a core user base. Um, however, there's a problem with our core user base. I mean, they're, they're fine people and all, but they're predominantly people in the Bitcoin community. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to do something mainstream. I think if we did something that was just for Bitcoin users, um, I, think, I think we're getting nowhere near uh, like the limit of our potential. So we have a bunch of ideas about how to do this. So basically we're at a point where we have to be very conscious about how are we going to build our community moving forward. And, you know, I mentioned manga. Uh, uh, we, we, I just know some people that are, that are in that community and know, know these people and stuff. Um, so we're, we're, what we're probably going to do is, won't necessarily be manga, but it's just an interesting community to think about as a thought experiment. We're going to find some non-Bitcoin uh, 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 community and basically target those people first. We're going to talk with these people Help, be sure that we're solving a problem for them, which I'm pretty sure we are because people like to be paid for things. But basically make sure that we're solving a problem for some first group of people who aren't Bitcoin users. Um, and so we're, we're actually not at that phase yet. We haven't deliberately tried to do this yet. Uh, so I predict that that's actually going to be harder than the technology. I think the technology is very hard, but I do think uh, building a community is probably harder I think you've got to be, I think it's a very, uh, you know, like, a, you know, you, 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 you got to do a lot more than just build the product. I mean, you really have to be sure that, that this is working for people. There are way more failed social media companies than there are successful ones. So it's clearly really hard. I do, however, think we have one uh, really strong asset, which is if we actually succeed in getting people paid, I think that's going to make our jobs easier. I think people are going to be drawn to it. If they're actually earning money for creating and discovering content, I think that's going to be a huge asset to us to build a community. So yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say what, what what thing you have done, which other platforms that I've that I've looked at haven't quite can't claim, is that you've taken a lot of the steps out of the way for someone who knows nothing about Bitcoin to right. get paid and then do something with the money they get paid in which is a huge difference totally. between a lot of these yeah. other platforms because they have a lot of steps, a lot of pain points, a lot of confusion around, okay, cool, I got a bunch of money for that post that I made. What the hell do I do with all the money I made from it or how do I get it out? With Bitcoin, it's it's yeah. it's it's trivial almost. You can use Bitcoin to buy things in real Absolutely. life and you can also convert Absolutely. to fiat really quickly amongst um, among relative to the other cryptocurrencies. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So my, my answer to this is, you know, there are a lot of reasons why I'm in the Bitcoin community. I, I, I've been I've been in the Bitcoin community since 2011, so it's a pretty long time. Uh, not full time. I've been full time since 2013. 
So full time, full time for three years uh, in the in the space, uh, sort of as an enthusiast for over five years. I have a lot of reasons for liking Bitcoin, but of course, you know the, the reality is uh, most people are not Bitcoin enthusiasts. I mean, most people just, you know, what they want is to get paid and to buy things with their money. Um, and whether it's Bitcoin or not doesn't really matter. But Bitcoin is by far uh, the largest uh, blockchain by by like every measure. Uh, you know, not not technically, but like socially and economically, it's just really, really useful uh, compared to anything else. So, you know, if you, if you consider the difficulty of things like signing up for a PayPal account, which, you know, I, I don't know, like I actually signed up for a PayPal account recently uh, uh, for our business. Uh, and it was actually really difficult. I mean, it was, it was actually really hard. There's nothing easy about signing up for a PayPal account. I also, of course, had to create bank accounts. I mean, this stuff took like embarrassingly long, embarrassing for the banking industry that it's so difficult to go set up a, a bank account. Um, but actually, Bitcoin is literally easier. I mean, it's hard for people to believe who, who hear about the technology of Bitcoin. And they think, oh, I don't know what proof of work is or what cryptography is. So it sounds really difficult. But actually, the user experience in a good wallet is actually really, really good. Uh, the onboarding is really easy. Uh, the offboarding is really easy. Um, and there are also steps we can take that make it even easier. So we are almost certainly, uh, not on day one, but soon thereafter, we will be integrating with exchanges so that you can easily cash in and out with fiat currencies. We'll integrate with uh, merchants like Purse.io, for instance, where you could easily buy something in the app. So I think if we, if we, if we go even further, so first of all, Bitcoin is actually a huge asset. I think it's actually largely misunderstood that Bitcoin is hard. I don't actually think it's hard. Um, I think it's actually a lot easier than a lot of the other options. Um, and also there are some really clear things we can do to make it even easier so that the onboarding, offboarding are just totally fluid for normal people. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, I, I think we actually stand a really good shot of making it actually very, very uh, user-friendly for people. Uh, thanks largely to Bitcoin, but uh, yeah, uh, the other things as well. Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. Just the fact that the infrastructure for Bitcoin is so much larger, it allows for like that for whatever pain points there are will probably be taken care of over the next few years, which means you're primed and ready for like as these things become easier, your platform automatically becomes easier. And when people get paid on your platform, they can use that money in a much faster yeah. way, which then yeah. which then encourages people to use it as well as tell their friends to use the same thing if they know someone who's creating content. And that's a lot of people. I just, I just want to say, add one comment, what you said there about, you know, people solving problems in the Bitcoin community. This is a really strong, compelling reason to use Bitcoin over just about anything else. People are solving problems very quickly. It's hard for people outside the community to see it, but inside I see people working really, really hard solving really complicated problems and actually making really fast progress at it. And there are a lot of these people. There are a lot of people solving problems in the space. Um, and so we can benefit from that because we benefit from Bitcoin growing. Everybody in the space benefits from, you know, a new hardware wallet being available or, you know, uh, the wallets being easier. You know, there being more exchanges or whatever the case is. Uh, as the economy continues to grow, and I think, it's, I think it is growing uh, fairly quickly, um, especially on a on a sort of technical level, um, it's uh, it's just going to make everything better. So we it's it's just a huge win for us. Whereas just it's it's sort of funny to consider. I mean, in my opinion, uh, I don't know if, if somebody in the traditional financial system would agree. Uh, I think the traditional financial system 
is actually literally getting worse like year after year. Like it's, it's actually getting harder to use bank accounts. Uh, there, there's, they increase like the difficulty due to AML and KYC issues. I really think the traditional banking system is basically fundamentally flawed because it doesn't have security at its core. It is fundamentally insecure, whereas Bitcoin is the exact opposite because it's built on cryptography. It's, it's secure at the foundation. So I, I suspect that, uh, A, you know, the, the banking system is actually getting harder to use. Uh, and B, the reason for that is because it's just fundamentally insecure. So I think as, as we, as we just watch all this stuff unfold, um, I think Bitcoin does not just Bitcoin. I mean, crypto in general, uh, but Bitcoin is, I think it'll continue to be the biggest one, um, is just so much, uh, uh, we're going to see all these problems being solved and it's just going to be even more fluid and even better for people, uh, uh in the coming years. Chill, you have something there? So, I, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I, I guess in closing, uh, like you said, uh, you know, we have to wait for micropayments to be integrated into the UI. Um, but maybe you can kind of give us a, a little Bitcoin podcast exclusive. Can you sketch out a, a realistic launch plan? Is there any estimates as of right now? Yeah, let me let me just uh, so you know what what I think we're going to do is um, we're not going to launch the full app we've been describing soon because it's really hard. Uh, and, uh, basically there are, if we were to actually launch it, although I think we could probably sort of finish it up pretty quickly, security and, uh, sort of ease of use problems. So I don't want people to lose money. So the, the problem, the, uh, the, the difference between us and, you know, many other social media companies is that I think we're, we're just a little bit more sensitive about like the correctness for, at a technical level of our app. So I don't want to be irresponsible is what I'm saying. Like I, I wouldn't, for the same reasons, I wouldn't want to launch a Bitcoin exchange without using multi-sig or something like that. Like I would want to do it the responsible way. We're doing this in a responsible way. So that's part of why it's, it's, uh, even harder than just implementing the Bitcoin micropayments. With that being said, what we'll do is we're going to launch it in phases. We'll launch something very soon. So this is September. We're in the midst of, uh, you know, implementing or, or, or adding our micropayments technology into the product. We already have a working product. So, I mean, all we have to do now is finish integrating it into the product. This won't take very long. I mean, this is like a, you know, I mean, in a couple of weeks here, I'm pretty sure we're going to be basically done with that. Uh, we'll probably make an announcement when that happens that, hey, we've got it working now. What we then do is we just have to sit down and think very critically about, um, you know, how, how what is our launch plan precisely? Because we're not going to turn on real Bitcoin payments on day one. For, for the reason I just said, which is, it's just irresponsible. I, you know, I, I don't want this thing to be unthrottled growth and let, let it, you know, we'll be hacked or something like that and lose everybody's money. I mean, I think it would really spoil the experience for people. So what we'll do is we're just going to launch to ever and larger groups of people over the next five or six months. I think probably five months is probably good enough to like basically clean up our technology and eventually launch to a general audience. So we'll launch to a very small audience pretty soon. I don't want to give a specific date, but this is mid-September. Um, I'd be surprised if by the end of October we haven't launched anything, but it won't be quite what you're expecting. Like we're not going to launch to a general audience. Um, it'll be to a really small audience and it'll be a small part of the app basically to help make sure things are working correctly and that people aren't going to lose money. Then we'll add, you know, sort of invite more people to it over time. And like I said, we've got 4,000 people on a mailing list right now. So we, we, we can open it up to like 100 people a week. Um, and just make sure that it continues to work. And that would last quite a while. 
And then once we're sure that it's that, that really it's not deeply broken in a technical way or in a security way, then we'll open it up to a general audience. So it'll be pretty soon that we do our first launch, but I don't want to, I don't want to get people's hopes up. It won't be the case that most people can actually use it at that time. It's, it's several months away from like general uh, usage. That's definitely something I think is a, is a, is a smart idea based upon kind of the almost uh, cynicism of the, of the cryptocurrency community with previous launches that have just epically failed or, you know, people are, yeah. are, are worried, especially when yeah, it comes just, to sharing their money. You're making, can I just, yeah, look, you're making such an excellent point. I mean, I just, I just feel like I have to mention, I, I didn't even, it didn't even think occur to me as I was saying that, but. Of course, there's a very, there are actually a number of them, but I'll give, I'll give what I think is the most instructive example of this recently of people being irresponsible, which was the DAO. You know, the DAO launched and they had a really cool idea. Um, I think it's, I think it's a great idea. What they should have done is they, they should have throttled the growth of it because they let it get totally out of control and they have this $60 million disaster. <laughs> and actually now what's happening with Ethereum forking in, into two different things, Ethereum you know, normal and Ethereum Classic. It's the Ethereum Classic is, I think it's valued at, the, at over 100 million right now. So the, the, the disaster hasn't gone away. I mean, all that's happened is it's, it's now like this permanent problem um, that who knows if it'll ever be fixed. Um, so, you know, that's what happens if you, if you, if you rush things. So, you know, we want to be, a, we want to create a real successful uh, project, a real successful community and company that lasts for the long term. And I think we have to do it in a responsible way which is we're, we're going to deliberately throttle our growth. We're going to open up to a small handful of people at first. We're going to do testnet Bitcoin at first. We'll switch on mainnet Bitcoin when, when the time is right. And we're going to allow more and more people to join over time so that things work and they're secure and, and basically people don't lose their money. I, I think that's the only responsible way to, uh, to do it. All right. Shelly, you want to close us out with the, the last and most important question? Yeah, in 10 words or less, can you describe Bitcoin? <laughs> 10 words or less. If you guys asked me that last time, I don't remember what I said. I'll do my best here. 10 words or less, describe Bitcoin. I'll do it in two words. I kind of wonder if I, if you, if you did ask me this last time, this is what I said, but I would say it's, it's internet money. Um, and let me, let me think of eight other words to add to that. It's internet money. Uh, before the internet, uh, you know, we had credit cards. Uh, but we needed something native to the internet. So Bitcoin is internet money. That's probably over the 10 words, but I'll just, I'll leave it at two. Leave the official one at internet money, period. All right. That's perfect. Nice and simple. Extrapolate a little bit. Tell us what it means. I prefer those types of answers. All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the show. We uh, definitely appreciate you coming on. We, we're, we're big fans of yours. We've talked to Stephen Mackey a lot. He's become quite a regular on the show. And um, we look forward to yeah. kind of using your platform and seeing uh, how it develops and, and where it goes. Great. Great. Thank you very much. I'm uh, really happy to be on your show. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me. I hope you guys do use it. And I hope, uh, you know, you, you guys are content creators. So I hope it actually works for you. I will be using it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, thanks for having me on. It was really, really awesome. And that was the interview with Ryan X. Charles, creator of Yours Network. Really enjoyed, it. really enjoyed that. Just because he he left. For those that don't know, he left uh, a PhD program in physics, doing kind of high energy cosmology uh, mm. study. 
to pursue Bitcoin a long time ago because he felt like he wanted to work on something that he thought mattered. And he's been, you know, really 100% in the Bitcoin scene ever since 2007. He's not the first person that we've talked to that have like left their degree plan hanging to go pursue no, I'm just this saying, I always, technology. Oh, that's definitely not true. But I just always, I always appreciate talking to other physicists who yeah. kind of made the same life decisions that I have because we approach we approach problems in a very similar way. A physicist approaches a problem in a very particular way. That's and, why I like this podcast because like I'm in a room with two physicists. I have no business being there, but I'm in the back. <laughs> Yeah, but you do. That's the thing. It's like it's we we all bring something to the table. Absolutely. And that's kind of the beauty of of Bitcoin is that it's so broad reaching that there is no like perfect person who is like bringing everything to the table and everyone everyone else is just kind of just along for the ride. Everyone brings something to the table. Like a physicist doesn't understand marketing nearly as well as like someone what you would do or branding. And when you build a product, you need all of these different viewpoints and aspects to come together. And build something that's good for everyone because it's so far reaching. You have to take into account all of the types of people that plan to use it. Mm-hmm. And me as a physicist, I, can, I don't know all that stuff. I know how to do math and I understand how to solve problems and I have a good engineering lens. But there's a lot of things that I don't understand and I need help with that. Uh-huh. And for those who say they don't need help, they're just they're arrogant liars. Yeah, yeah, take that arrogant physicist across the world. <laughs> I know all there is to know about the universe. I'm a physicist. <laughs> no, it's a, it was a very good interview. I enjoyed that interview. As you guys know who listen, uh, I don't get to perform many interviews as of late, um, but I listen to them to, to stay up. And um, I found it very fascinating that a lot of really deep, deep forward thinking ideas and, and, and premises is just kind of roll off of Ryan X Charles' tongue. Like the ability for people to get paid just to like, and I know we've interviewed other people that are building this social, these social media, like get paid to do social media kind of things. But I feel like when he says it, everything just really makes sense. Like, oh, like that's all I have to do is push this like button or push the share button and I get paid for it. You know, it opens up a new economy. It opens up a new way of making a living for some people who are really good at it. And one of the things that I really liked the most that he talked about is that he says it's getting really hard to discover things on the Internet now. And it's just true. Like the Internet gets infinitely bigger all the time. So... When you're going to seek out good content, it's fucking hard to find sometimes. And Google's not going to be right all the time. Like, it just isn't. So, I think that he's offering something up that's pretty awesome. So, Very well said. Anyways, um, it is getting creepy that, big, that Google doesn't always give you the best options sometimes now. And it's getting on my nerves, actually. When it comes to finding the information that you need, it's a little more digging too many pages of google you got to get into nowadays um so what uh what's next or do we just wrap it up 
Yeah, let's wrap, wrap it, wrap it up. All right. So you guys who do listen probably will tune out to this, but then you'll probably miss an awesome outro song. But if you are a first-time listener, let me introduce you to some things. If you go to Cointelegraph.com, that's where you can find our podcast. Of course, you can also go to the BitcoinPodcast.com, but we are on Cointelegraph as well because we're a partner with Cointelegraph. Big old podcast button right on the front page. That's us. Yep. That's us. You'll see us cartoonized, infinitely represented on the internet. So um, what else do we do? If you go on our website, the BitcoinPodcast.com, podcast.com and click on the purse.io banner and then sign up through purse uh you will become an affiliate of ours and uh we get a little bit of kickback when you buy things on purse of no extra charge to you so if you're like oh i feel like buying something on amazon don't sign up through purse through us and help us out we've already Hold up. why would someone use purse over amazon because the discount man 15% off on everything, anything that's sold on Amazon. You need a new fridge? Shit 15% off. You need a new car through Amazon, which I think they do, actually. Mm, Maybe. I wouldn't recommend that. I would recommend that. I recommend that all the time. Yeah. You want to sign up for our affiliate program. Sign up for our affiliate program. Buy a new car through Purse. And then, boom. We'll love you I forever. I got 25%. I got 25% off these headphones that I'm using right now for this recording. It's like, I don't know, what, 20 bucks? Yeah. 20, 20 bucks off. Just, and there's, there's, there's no gimmicks. There's no catch. It's like one extra step for 25% off. You know the, the amount of work and hoops people jump through for like 10% off coupons for their, their Ritz crackers? Yeah. It's just so easy. Look, we're not trying to sell purse like we work for them. Here's the thing, guys. It's just like this. And on eBay, where everyone is competing to get the lowest price, on purse, you set the low price that you want, and then people compete to get it to you. That's how it works. It just flips the script. A good old inverse argument. If A, then B, nah. If B, then A, boom. So, um, what else do we? What else do we do? We do shit. Oh yeah, the Bitcoin you podcast. You can find us stuff. anywhere. Yep. Find podcasts. Just Google us at this point. That's cool. Twitter, <laughs> yeah, just Google us. If you want to talk start. to us, it's best to talk to us through Twitter. We're going to open up the Slack one day. I keep saying I'm going to do it. Maybe I'll do it right after this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to go in there uh, and I'm going to make you do it. All and right. Maybe so, when we open up the Slack, you can, you can join in on our ridiculous banter that we talk about throughout yeah. the day. We this conversation about- that we have amongst ourselves is going on about 24-7. Yeah, and we record about five percent of it. So I if think, you enjoy the dumb stuff we talk about, you should join the Slack. Yep. Except for that one day, we went, went balls deep into life insurance, and I'm pretty sure like three people left the Slack after that day. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, thanks for listening, guys. Tell your friends about us because we're awesome and we do things. So, anyways, um, play too long come on i wanted you guys are never gonna join in on that i'm gonna do it all right play the outro like a barbershop quartet yeah that's what i was going for